without doing that, without the tech taking the time to be visual and clear and concise and explain to the homeowner what the actual effect of not replacing it is, he has a hard time with the price. Number one, justifying it in his head because he knows we bought that capacitor for a small, less amount, and it's only going to take him 20 minutes to put it in because he is selling to himself, not to the customer who can't fix it herself. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, hanging out with you again on this fantastic start of the week. And we're looking forward to part one of Joe Cunningham joining us today from Success Track Network. It's going to be a great conversation about communication and more about the in-home sales presentation and experience for the client. But before we do that, we are going to have a little bit of a conversation ourselves, and we're going to turn to Brian for our quote. There isn't anything you can possibly do to make you better at everything you do than becoming a better communicator. I don't care if you're going to be a carpenter and being a carpenter is difficult. You will be a 10 times better carpenter if you just learn how to communicate. Dr. Jordan Peterson. Oh, JP makes a, an appearance on the quote guest list. Yeah, that's probably not the first time. I can't imagine it's the first time. <laughs> I, saw, I saw a video where he did that and actually said plumbers by name a while back. And I was like, ooh, anytime, you know, Jordan's talking about plumbers, I'm all ears. Couldn't find it. So he deleted but, it. He says it. He said <laughs> it many times about different professions. I just found one where he said it about carpenters and used that one. Close enough, right? That's so good. And it's so, so appropriate for what we're talking about, which is communication. Right. And communication is communicating, selling, negotiating, whatever you want to call it. One and the same. I was talking to some, some um, plumbing technicians yesterday uh on a zoom call talking about the fact that if i you know they're they're plumbers plumbers like a little bit you know they were plumbers before they got to a place that does uh selling if you will or communication training and i said uh you know if if you heard of a plumber that sold a lot and made a lot of commission by selling you automatically think what it's and it's you know prevalent in all of these industries that outside of companies that do it well and train it well, they automatically think that person rips people off. It's just, it's just the stigmas out there, you know? And I said, but if I, if I showed you a Pepsi commercial from, you know, noon on a Tuesday, it's like, it's a decent, quick commercial. It's like, whatever, you know? And I showed you a Pepsi Super Bowl commercial. Where they spent $5 million on animation alone much less the time slot and the voice actor and the song, the music behind it. 
I would say, what's the, what's the difference between those two? Well, one's good and one's great, right? One makes you kind of want a Pepsi. One really makes you want a Pepsi. And what's the point of the commercial either way? To want a Pepsi. Right. What are they doing to you? Uh, they're creating a need in my emotions. Or we would call it selling. selling. <laughs> they're selling you. Oh, they're such pieces of crap. How dare they try to sell you something? Stop being a salesman. Be a manufacturer of soda. Like, you know, you get it. You see it. I saw it in, in, in the uh, residential electrical business services group, uh, Facebook group the other day where someone's asking how to, you know, tips and strategies on better uh better um training your techs to sell more to get people involved in bigger tickets and of course one grizzled old master electrician that owns a four-man company that probably just pays his guys a low hourly rate jumps in there and says don't train them to sell let them be electricians go in there fix the problem and leave and i'm like oh can you imagine that guy being at your house first off? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and yeah, I'm taking shots. I know it's not, not nice, but it's okay. Um, They're not listening anyways. He ain't listening. To I don't care. Tell him if you know, I don't care. Um, but I, but I was just thinking, you know, it's like I had to work for that guy in plumbing before I went to Las Vegas. They pay you a straight hourly rate. There's no way for you to make money unless you grovel at his feet at the end of the year and say, didn't I perform well enough for one more dollar an hour? And he loves it. Let's face it. Like he acts like he's just this pious, perfect, you know, uh, human who just doesn't want to sell people, but he, they love the power. They love the control. You make how much I tell you you're going to make. Whereas people who put their text on a performance pay, one, they make more money themselves Two, They always have higher reviews than this other guy. And this other guy is just a representation of so many people across the country. Always have better reviews. Um, and three, those electricians, plumbers, HVAC techs, whatever, make far, far more money than the guy who makes whatever the hourly rate is and prays that he's in your good graces enough to, to get another dollar an hour at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. It's not even close. Like running your business like that's a joke. It's just a joke. And I think you're a control freak. That's how I feel about you. Well, tell us how you really feel. But, you know, selling, negotiating, communicating, this is happening all the time everywhere. It is people like him who try to give it a bad name in the trades. And it more, and, you know, I hope this podcast does nothing else but, but works to negate that. If, if it does nothing else, you know, my big hope for it is that it, Makes the trade sexier and gets people, you know, newer generations wanting to be part of the trades. But oh, if, I thought that's why you joined the trades. Why? To make the trades sexier. No, that's what happened when I joined the trades. Oh, got it. It's got just it. a natural result. <laughs> but, um, you know, if, if that's all this podcast does, I'm happy. Just negate that and make guys like that look like what they are, which is probably just power-hungry control freaks who like to hold everything in the palm of their hand, including how much their techs make. But, um, you know, to prove, to prove the point, and this was something I got from, I think it was Sandy Heim, one of the Black Swan Group teachers, uh, negotiation trainers. She was talking about there's a website. So, so let's, let's say this, and we'll, we'll set it up a little bit better. Nate Minnick, since we established last week that uh, 
our audience can't answer me while I'm speaking. Yes. You want to you want to be the audience that answers a rhetorical question? I got it. I'm I'm All here. Right, cool. So, <laughs> let's say you're at Starbucks, right? There's a barista up at the counter. Are you in a selling situation? Are uh, you personally selling? You're not the barista this time. Uh, I would say no because I'm a buyer. What's the, what's behind her on the board? As you're looking up, uh, that'd be the menu of prices. So everything you could order, and there's a price right next to it. Not that's a lot of selling going on on your part, right? That's right. PB and J cut the crust off three ninety nine. What if I told you there was a website called PostSecrets.com where you could just go get something off your chest an- anonymously, and people go in there and they just post stuff that they can't tell anyone to feel better. And a Starbucks barista, barista, can we just call it? You got to make up these names. A waitress at Starbucks, <laughs> for crying out loud, went on there and said, we regularly give decaf coffee to people that we feel were not nice enough to us. Snap. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My caffeine drinkers out there, if you have coffee every day and somebody switched you up to no caffeine tomorrow, how would you feel a few hours into that day? Right. You're tired. You're, you're foggy. Your thinking's not great. Cranky. Cranky. And, and at some point, you're going to develop a pretty severe headache if you have caffeine every day and you don't have it today. Are you in a selling situation now? I am. You're in a negotiation. Where's the bar? Like, she said we, you know, regularly. So this could be every coffee shop, every Starbucks you go to. Maybe not Starbucks per se. And maybe she's not actually at Starbucks. I don't know. But any coffee shop you go to, if you're mean to the waitress, by her definition, not yours, not nice enough, what does that mean? Right. Is, is there a list of phrases you have to say to be quote unquote nice enough? Is this industry <laughs> standard or is it pretty subjective and uh, they kind of make it up as they go? It's check Starbucks handbook. Uh, it's probably in there. So the next time you're at a coffee shop, a restaurant, a cafe, a, you know, wherever where they serve coffee, you're going to feel a little bit more in a selling situation. Right. Yeah. I want to feel like I'm going to be a little bit nicer today or at least mention it. Hey, don't switch me out with decaf. That's just mean. It's not right. <laughs> Double decaf. Here we go. <laughs> so even even in that simplest of of scenarios, like you're always selling. You're always selling. You're communicating. You are negotiating at all times. And to be in someone's home and find it a badge of honor to walk in staring at the ground and only look at your feet until you walk up to whatever they called you out for, fix it charge them as little as possible to make sure the company doesn't make a profit, look straight back down at the carpet and then walk out pretending they don't have a whole system in that home attached to whatever it is you just repaired. You're obviously not doing the client a service, but let's face it, that person who who talks like they don't care about the client. They only care about like beating you down and, and feeling like they're better than you because they suck at communicating and selling and, and don't want to have to fit into that box. You're not doing yourself any, any services, right? And you're certainly not doing your company any services because the time you could have spent at there building a relationship with one client, now they have to find you another call to go to instead. So it's better for everyone. Learn to communicate. 
and be better at everything. Great advice there, Brian, and so appropriate for what we're going to be talking about with Joe today, which is communication. And without further ado, we're going to put Joe Cunningham in your passenger seat. Our guest today is Joe Cunningham. He is a savvy, experienced, award-winning veteran of the in-home services industry with a track record for helping companies grow that no one can match. Joe's step-by-step, easy-to-implement processes and procedures have helped thousands of contractors worldwide increase their sales, maximize their opportunities, and grow their businesses. What is it that makes Joe stand ahead of the crowd? Well, his depth of experience and large list of accomplishments is unachieved by anyone else in the HVAC or plumbing industry. For starters, Joe was one of the first HVAC million-dollar salesmen in the 80s. And today, contractors, distributors, and technicians who want to succeed faster use Joe Cunningham's proven training programs, processes, and procedures. With that, welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks for inviting me onto the show. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, welcome here. It's great to have you on. We we uh, don't know each other and we haven't met, but we go back a ways as we work for a one-hour Benjamin Franklin Plumbing and Mr. Sparky Electric franchise in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And I know that from listening to Terry Nicholson on a podcast, you were kind of instrumental in in, uh, the development of that and of the training systems for that. Yeah, that's true. The the training processes and procedures that you find in in, uh, Mr. Sparky's, the uh, Airtime 500 groups and and all those related uh, companies, all stem back to the same products and services and training that we developed through contractor success and, uh, and future university, which I was a president of and worked with Jim Abrams and John Young. Fantastic. Well, Joe, uh, for those of us who are not as familiar with you, perhaps you could give us your story, uh, in more of a consolidated form, but your story about how you got into the trades, uh, your journey through it and what you're doing now. Sure. Uh, I've been in the heating and air conditioning business, I guess, since uh, officially since 1989. I was in the air conditioning business a bit before then. And I came out of the home improvement industry. Uh, I was one of the first people that ever sold a million dollars worth of replacement equipment in a year. And I had a little different set of circumstances when I did it. And I started because I didn't have an air conditioning company. And uh, we didn't have an ad in the yellow pages. There was no internet. And I never had any installers or technicians or anything like that. I sold everything that I sold, like we sold home improvements, door to door. I subcontracted everything out. The subcontractors supplied equipment and all. So after we sold quite a bit of equipment, their distributors started asking them how they were selling that much. And my subs told the distributors, well, we're not selling it. Here's a guy's card that's selling. Go ask him. So they all came and asked me. And I told them that I sold it door to door, which they didn't believe until I did it for about three more years and then they believed and everybody came and they wanted to sell me equipment and they wanted me to buy stuff from them. And, and that was never in the cards for me at that point because <clears throat> I was just a selling organization. I went and I sold air conditioning. I didn't want to have technicians. I didn't want to have a warehouse. I didn't want to have anything. And I was doing real well. Well, since I came out of the home improvement business, I treated the air conditioning business a little bit differently. You know, 90% of what we sold was financed, but I was financing air conditioning like we financed home improvements on an FHA Title I home improvement loan. 
We're at about the end of 88, first part of 89 in the state of Texas. We had a banking scandal, and they closed all the savings and loans that handled the FHA-type loans. So wow. I was virtually out of business. And uh, about two weeks after the last savings and loan closed up, I had a visit from the guys at Carrier. And uh, they said, you know, we know you're not going to buy equipment from us, but we have a problem where we'd really like you to help. Here are these two contractors that owe us a whole lot of money, and we're afraid they're going to go broke before they get us paid off. If you would go over and show those two guys how to sell like you sell and get us paid off, we'll give you this much money. Well, they didn't know I wasn't doing anything. And they said they'd give me what seemed to be a lot of money back then to me, so I agreed to do it. And I took those two companies and we got Carrier paid off in six or seven months. Carrier came back to me and said, could you put some seminars together for other contractors? So I said, sure. And my seminar grew from four to six to eight hours. All the distributors in the state of Texas came to see what we were doing here in Houston. And they asked me to go to work for them. So I did. And I worked for all four Carrier distributors here, which covered the state of Texas, Panhandle, Oklahoma, and the northern part of Louisiana. And I wrote a program for them called Texas Top. It was a big success. I worked for them for about a year and a half. Carrier saw what we did from the national office, and they asked me to put a program together for them, which I did. And I helped them put the value-added selling, value-added service series together, and I went around to different places and gave that out. Well, when I was doing that, I met a lot of contractors. One contractor that I met was in Corpus Christi. And he was starting to do a lot of work with blower doors to set himself apart. Well, he asked me to come by and see it. I was pretty amazed. I had the guys that owned the factory come to Houston. They saw what I did. I saw what they did. They asked me to build a selling program for them in the blower door business, like it in the air conditioning business, which I did. And then they offered me a distributorship, which I took. And I sold blower doors in Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Arkansas. We had no representation east of the Mississippi, so I handled the whole eastern half of the United States. And I also gave a lot of seminars up and down the East Coast. Well, at that time, there was a new organization being formed called Contractor Success Group. A lot of those guys came to my meetings. A lot of those guys bought blower doors. And they said, look, the stuff you talk about is a whole lot like the stuff we talk about. You need to meet Jim Abrams and John Young. So they set up a meeting. I flew to St. Louis, met with Jim and John. They asked me to join up with them and run future university for them, which was their educational. So I did. And I was president of future university for about a year and a half. We wrote various programs and we implemented some of the programs they had in a, in a much more robust fashion. After I was with them for about a year and a half, I got a call from Jim one morning. He said, look, we're getting ready to do this service experts thing. We'd like you to help us. So I went to work for service experts before there was a service experts. We became the first publicly traded heating and air conditioning company. And my job was to make sure everyone hit their numbers. So I trained everywhere. I didn't want to travel anymore. So we did the first nationally broadcast, regularly scheduled training program. So I could train by television out of the train plant in Tyler. And they wanted me to move to Nashville. Well, I didn't want to move to Nashville. So I quit and we started working with distributors, primarily distributors. And through them, I worked through their entire network, training technicians, business managers, owners. I met the guys that run Service Nation and Service Roundtable, and they asked me to go to work for them. And I do training programs, which I've done, and I've helped them put their conventions and things together. And now I work all over the U.S., Canada, Australia, 
heating, air conditioning, electrical, and plumbing type tractors. Doing the same kind of thing. Helping them grow their business. Helping them understand what the business really is so they can make more money and do better. We also have a trade school here in Houston, which is where I'm based as far as work goes. And we're taking entry-level techs from zero knowledge to a functioning kind of high-level maintenance tech in 10 days. And we do the same thing on the plumbing side. So it's, it's been kind of an interesting career that it's allowed me to see all the, all the facets of it, from manufacturing and engineering to distribution to contracting and kind of everything in between. How long, how long did you say you're getting them from um, nothing to tech ready? Ten days. Ten days. No, they're maintenance tech. You know, I'm, I'm not going to send this guy out and having troubleshoot communicating systems. But in ten days, here's what they learn. They learn sequence of operation, which is the basics for all troubleshooting, knowing how system works. Because all troubleshooting is is reversing sequence of operation. They learn how to use their gauges. They learn how to use meters. They learn how to charge a system using subcool and superheat. They learn where all the components are. They learn how they work. They know how to properly charge a system. They know how to braze. They understand electrical, both series and parallel wiring. And we give them troubleshooting and skills building books when they live, or when they leave, I'm sorry. So when they go out in the truck, they're able to do a lot of the troubleshooting themselves. We're creating a pretty valuable tech in 10 days. And it's 10 days straight. And there's no days off. The reason it works so well is because what we do is 65 to 70% hands-on. My instructor has them in the class for 45 minutes to an hour, and it's, okay, let's go do it. And then they go do it. And at the end of every day, they have to fill out what we call a, a learning skills assessment form, where it says, this is what I learned today I didn't know before. This is how I plan to put it in place when I go to work. This is what we went over today I didn't understand, and this is what we went over today that I need to do more review on. So my instructor looks at that every afternoon, and he sees, well, Bob and Fred didn't understand 24-volt wires. So tomorrow, whatever they didn't get, we review tomorrow before we go ahead. And uh, before they leave, they take their EPA 608. We have about a 95% uh, pass rate on universal and now nate is actually giving a beginning level technician certification and we're going to put that in our program as well yeah just to be clear that's uh, nate the certification not nate the uh, incredible podcast host that's right <laughs> so ten, 10 days you said the for like an hour with the instructor in a classroom setting and then they're going out to put it yeah, into practice 45 that- minutes to a, 45 minutes to an hour and they, they might have two or three classroom segments in there you know like if we're doing wiring well we're going to study series wiring and then we're going to go do it and then we're going to go over parallel wire and we're going to go do it and then we make them on our electronics board the whole system is simulated with lights but after they understand series and parallel then we're going to get an inducer motor somewhere we want to mount that up there we're going to make the inducer motor work and run the pressure switch and then we're going to make the pressure switch turn a light on then we're going to screw sequencers up there and then we're going to put all the various parts up there until i understand this so that might involve them being in the class three times that day and on brazing day they might only be in there once and we're going to braze the rest of the day until they can do that but it's super hands-on 
That's fantastic and so needed, uh, especially as you know the industry is starved for people. That's something that we've come yep. across here, and we've uh, done uh, quite a bit of an external training as well as internal training in bringing up our apprentices. As you mm-hmm. think about that, Joe, you know, uh, the technical skills, of course, is very important, but so is communication. Uh, what have been yes, some sir. of the things that, you know, as you've developed multiple curriculums in your career and training courses and everything else, what have been some of the key components about studying communication and how you found it effective to train communication so that anybody can really adapt to those principles and apply them next call? Well, here's the thing about communications, and I, and I tell all the techs, I think when they come in, because we do it a day in that of running the perfect service call, how you communicate with a customer. Uh, I always tell them you're never going to find a, a condensing unit or toilet that can write you a check. So you better learn to get along with the customer because they have got to write the check. They also have to understand what we're doing and why. Now, I've never found a tech that signed up for any programs that we've done that said, you know, my goal in life is to be creative writer or a public speaker. Yet that's what we have to turn them into. So we have to we have to give them the ability and the tools to do that with. And there, there's a lot of different programs and a lot of different trainers out there. And they'll say, hey, Bob, if you just say this uh, to the customer, well, that will help them understand and buy more. Well, I've got to get a tech that's not a great communicator to do that. And I have to teach him to do that in such a way that my clients, who for the biggest part are not auditory learners, can understand. And, that, and that's the issue that we have. You know, the first thing we do is we teach the techs about the type of learners there are out there. So they understand that less than 12% of the world's population are auditory learners. So you have to do more than talk. So we give them diagrams and things to use so they can show the customer, here's where we're going to go in your house and here's what we're going to do. Then when they find a problem, there's a diagram of a capacitor, a contactor, a fan motor, uh, whatever they find wrong. So they can now refer to this diagram and make a great presentation to the customer so the customer understands what they're talking about and he wants that fixed. One of the biggest issues techs have is they don't get the customer to really want what they have more than get by by not doing it and they don't paint a picture where the customer sees what happens if we don't do that. So there's no urgency for doing it. When we talk to customers, you know, a lot of techs, they come back and they say, well, I told the customer about this, and he said our price was too high. Well, the price is only too high if the customer doesn't understand what he's getting. Because nobody ever bought anything that they cost, thought cost too much if they liked it. And we didn't help him want it. So those are the things. So communication with the tech to the customer has to be visual. They have to use a diagram to explain it to the customer, or they have to take their customer to the problem so they can see it. They need to be able to explain that issue to the customer and the results of not fixing it, and then what the repercussions will be of not fixing it because we won't be able to come back immediately. It's going to cause them discomfort in the house or higher bills down the road. So the problem isn't that the customer thinks it costs too much. The problem is we weren't great communicators. So 
that's the biggest thing that I work on. Here's how you communicate with this customer to paint the picture so he understands or she understands what's going on so they will make a positive decision to do business with you. Joe, I like what you said there, and pricing certainly is a large concern for many technicians, whether they've been in the industry for a while or just joining in. And you mentioned there uh, just a minute ago about how you know nobody nobody feels they pay too much for a product that they actually want. And so, doesn't that doesn't that often start on the technician side though in understanding what even goes into pricing, right? Like, there's so much more than the product that is in your hand. How do you how do you help? technicians learn the value of what they bring to a client so that they feel justified in charging what some people consider to be expensive pricing? Well, first of all, as we break it down, if I've got a group of technicians sitting there, we're, we're talking about how we arrive at pricing. You know, a couple of things occur. Uh, too many times we get ourselves confused with selling a product that costs this much for that much. In other words, we have a retail environment or a retail mindset. Like I've got Bob's air conditioning store and I buy widgets and I buy my widgets for $5 and I sell them for $10. And since most people don't understand the difference in, in markup and margin, they think we're making a hundred percent profit if we double our, our price. So that should be enough. Well, as we take a look at what it costs to run Bob's air conditioning, they don't always understand how much it costs to get a tech to send out there. So there's three parts to the pricing. You know, there there's product and then there's labor. And then there's the overhead burden, which goes into it. So how did I get this customer? That's number one. They think, well, the customer just got hot and called in. Well, maybe, but you know, our offices are in Houston. We also have an air conditioning company. So this is the most air conditioned city in the world. And it's also the most competitive. So we have 3,500 people that are licensed contractors in Houston. So I'm competing with every one of them to get my phone to ring. So this person has to find me. So how much did I spend in Google? How much did I spend in local service ads? How much did I spend on my internet to get to where I'm on first page so they could find me? How much did I spend in radio ads to get this one call in? So, what you're going to find out is that it probably costs you a minimum of $200, $300 to get the call. And then once I got the call, I had to convert the call because everybody that calls in isn't a buyer. So if I can convert 50% of it, it costs 200 to make the call, well, it costs me 400 for a customer. So now my cost of goods and overhead went up dramatically. Then I'm going to take my technician, I'm going to put him in a truck, that today costs probably $50,000. And that's before I put any uh, any equipment in it. So I've got $50,000 in this truck. It costs me $800 to $1,000 a month to insure. So my insurance is going to be $30 a day. It's five miles a gallon with $5 gas. It's going to take him 20 miles to get there and 20 miles back. And it's not just labor for the technician. You know, and, and the guys take a look at even labor roles. 
They said, well, he only pays me, I mean, just pick a number, just pick 20 bucks. So you, he only pays me $20, so the labor is really not that high. Well, as I take a look and we're building pricing, you know, I do pay you $20 an hour, but there's this little thing that not many people know about called burden. It's like you pay so much Social Security, but I got to match it. I got to buy your workman's comp insurance. I've got to have all these other insurances and things to cover you. So your $20 wages with burden is probably in the $33 range. And I'm going to send you there. You're going to sit in the traffic for an hour to get there. You're going to sit in the traffic for an hour to get back. Plus, I got to pay you on that job. So, you know, my, my cost of doing business is extremely high. And when I sell this capacitor that I bought for $52, if we're buying a turbo or whatever, if I sell this $52 capacitor for $500, by the time I add all that in, all that hidden cost is really not that much. But if you don't understand business and you don't understand what happens, you have a hard time justifying $500 for a $50 capacitor in your mind, if those are the numbers. Because the only thing a lot of techs understand is, here's my wages, here's the cost, here's the price, and it costs a little bit for the truck. They don't see the, the people that are in the office that are making the calls, that are answering the calls, that are going to training so they can convert the calls. <clears throat> that are doing all these things behind the scene, that they're sending the direct mail out, they're doing all this to understand what it takes to build a call. And until you do, you won't understand why that thing really does cost you 500 So when we talk about a capacitor, we don't sell enough value in it. So when I'm explaining to a customer what a capacitor is and what it means to not have it replaced, I have to do a better job. I have to have a diagram showing a condensing unit and saying, Mrs. Johnson, the trouble with your unit is this part right here, and you circle the capacitor, is going out. And what this does is it regulates the voltage, runs the two most expensive parts of your condensing unit, which are right here. Here's your compressor, and if it sends too much or not enough voltage to your compressor, it can burn that up. They start at about 3,000. And the next part it affects is your fan motor, and here's it right here. And it could cost about 900 if it went out. Now, one of our capacitors, that's only 455 whatever it is. And that includes installation and a five-year warranty. Now, most of our customers choose to replace this one inexpensive part to protect these two expensive parts. That makes sense, doesn't it? Now, all of a sudden, my capacitor has far more value because I'm not putting in a $450 part, I'm protecting the most expensive parts in their condensing unit, which the customer doesn't want to have to replace. Because by the time we move up to replacing the condenser, he knows we might as well replace, or the, the compressor, we might as well replace the condenser. So now we're keeping him from having to buy a seven, eight, $10,000 part for his system. But that, that's explaining the value. That's showing the customer what's going to happen if he doesn't do it. And when you come back in and, and do that versus, hey, lady, you need a new capacitor. How much is that? 500 bucks. 
that's expensive. Yeah, but things cost a lot nowadays. And then she goes on the internet, she Googles capacitor, and it comes up 21 bucks. Then you got a problem. So you have got to do a better job of educating these clients what's going on. And without doing that, without the tech taking the time to be visual and clear and concise and explain to the homeowner what the actual effect of not replacing it is, he has a hard time with the price. Number one, justifying it in his head because he knows we bought that capacitor for a small, less amount, and it's only going to take him 20 minutes to put it in because he is selling to himself, not to the customer who can't fix it themselves. That's well said, Joe, and and so true today, especially as the internet has become, uh, you know, an instantaneous answer to any question, uh, irregardless as to context, right? You know, oh, the, right. the internet says that uh, this should be twenty one dollars. Oh, the internet says the average, the average uh, fan motor replacement with labor should be X, and you know, boom, boom, boom. Well, this is what the internet says, and it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. who's on the other end of the internet, whether they're an authority or not. The internet has this like place of automatic authority in people's heads. And so as technicians, you know, in the field, there's, there's this great need to, as you said, help educate the client. And in doing so, how you do that is also critical because you don't want to come off yourself as, you know, arrogant or, or like the know it all. You want to come off as an assistant to, to the homeowner. I mean, you talk about, uh, is it Cartman's triangle? I think. Uh, where you know you have the the aggravator, you have the victim, and then you have the the rescuer, and we're trying to be the mm-hmm. rescuer in those situations because it's not our fault the capacitor failed. You know that that's the outside source, that's the bad guy. The bad guy is the problem that is occurring right now. Obviously, the client is the victim, and the technician is supposed to be the rescuer. The technician is supposed to step in and say, "Here, let me protect you from the bad guy." Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. And you know that your your point about coming across as arrogant or a know-it-all generally leaves when you use diagrams. You know, diagrams for a customer in a presentation are a very simple line drawing or a picture. And I, and I want you to think about what happens when you read to your kids. Their, their books are very simple. And when you read to your kid using simple pictures and a simple story, you can never be taken as arrogant or a know-it-all, just as a friend and a helper. And that's why all your diagrams, all your stories need to be very simple. Here's your unit. Here's the part. Here's what it does. Here's what it will affect if you don't replace it. Because customers don't understand that the capacitor is bad and the system is still running. And that's actually the worst thing that could ever happen because this unit will run until it destroys itself. So I'm and, curious on that, Joe. I mean, the diagram is, is really cool. Do you like that better than taking the homeowner to the unit itself and like walking them through it in real world? Well, no, I like taking them to the unit itself. But then I, I also live in the world where I understand I have to take a look at the majority of my clients the and most of the time. And, and my systems are built around this. I take a look at what works with most of the customers, most of the time, most of the calls, and most of the cases. 
and I understand there will be exceptions. So I, I work to the exception, not for the exception. So now I understand that most of my clients, 80% of them are going to be female at the house by themselves. So can I get the customer comfortable enough to go with me to the condenser part of the time? And then I will use the condenser as my presentation tool. Because if I pull the panel off, I can show them the pieces and parts. I can show them the compressor. I can show them the capacitor. I can show them the fan noise. If it is super hot, rainy, muddy, cold, wet, whatever, and my customer is going to be uncomfortable, then I'm going to use my backup method, my diagram. And the good thing about the diagram or the equipment itself is it takes the focus away from me making a presentation to you, which may be uncomfortable because we have this face-to-face thing going on, and it puts it to where we are pointing at what we're talking about, whether it's the equipment or the diagram itself. And we're not looking at each other. I'm still making a presentation directly to you, but I'm pointing and you're looking there. So the customer becomes comfortable quicker and they relate better. So whether it's a diagram or whether I take them there, I find it equally effective. And uh, it's how you do it that really makes it work for you. Yeah, there's a reason that doctors have, you know, skeletons and and pictures yeah, of ligaments on on, hanging on the wall, right? Because, you know, you can't mm-hmm. you can't see what you don't know and you can't understand what you can't see oftentimes and, and and so you're providing the visual and sometimes the drawings and the explanation to make it a more well-rounded education process yeah and if, if i tell you your capacitor is bad and i tell you it affects the compressor and i tell you that it affects the fan motor i've got to depend on you to mentally see what that looks like praying you're an auditory learner are, yeah well one of the one of the issues is this People don't think in letters and words. They think in pictures. See, if I ask 100 people, what's your favorite car? And it doesn't matter what it is, but if somebody says red Corvette, when they thought of that, they never saw the letters R-E-D-C-O-R-V-E-T-T-E. They never saw that. They saw a Corvette that's red. They saw it with a hard top or a convertible, the way they liked it. When they were looking at it, they saw the tops of the seats and the color that they liked. And they probably saw themselves sitting in the driver's seat. That's how people think. So if, if I can't mentally take this customer on that journey or let him physically see the pictures, I'm depending on him to come up with what this stuff looks like in his head. So how does he do it? He does, he's never seen the inside of an air conditioning system. How does that work? And that's why auditory learners are such a small group. It's a rare person who can do that mentally, think up those parts. So it's up to you to put that in his brain and make it work. I think that's fantastic. And even that illustration with the car, I'm like doing it in my own head. You're, you're right, man. That's right on. Yeah. And, uh, and yours too, with the, with the doctor, with the, with the uh, fake skeleton where I'm, I'm thinking back to having a knee surgery and, and the orthopedic surgeon was, 
he was touching that skeleton's knee, and then he's like, feel this right here. So it's it's auditory, it's visual. It becomes kinesthetic where he makes me actually grab the thing by the by the leg and move the knee joint around. You're exactly right. A diagram or that skeleton or the pictures or the unit lets whatever you're doing work for all three learning styles. You think that was a fake a fake skeleton? That was the last guy who complained about price on an orthoscopic surgery. Oh, is that how they do it? <laughs> <laughs> we got one of the, one or two of those here. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, he didn't make you want that knee replacement. That's right. <laughs> he never did make me want it, but I sure got it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, good stuff, Joe. And, uh, you know, moving on from price, um, general presentation towards products is another thing, right? So when you're talking about repairs, you know, that that's mm-hmm. that's pretty like cut and dry. Either, either we do this mm-hmm. and the unit's fixed or we don't do this and the unit's not fixed. But when you mm-hmm. turn into the optional things, you know, the we should do this or we recommend doing this, or if we did this, it would make X, Y, Z so much better. You have another, mm-hmm. another hurdle in front of you that wasn't there during the repair. Would you agree with mm-hmm. that? And if so, how do you approach that presentation differently? Well, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, and here's, here's the thing about selling options. Nobody buys a solution for a problem they don't know they have. So... I would like to sell everybody an IAQ product. But if they think the air is in their house is okay, they won't buy one. I would like to sell everybody an airflow solution to the problem because I know they've got an uncomfortable room in the house. I don't know what the level, uh, to what level they have an uncomfortable room in the house. But if I don't ask them or find out about that, I'm not going to be able to sell them that extra return and sealing the duct. I'm not going to be able to sell them better filtration because I don't know if their kid has asthma. So most of that relates back to when you're going through the house, setting yourself up so you ask the correct questions. You know, so you have to have a series of questions that you build into a conversation with the customer to uncover these situations. You also have to have a system in place that makes certain things to bring up a non-negotiable. Here's what I mean. We go into the house, we go to the thermostat. Air conditioning is probably worse than heating as far as the calls go with the customer wanting to take you to the wrong place. Like if I get to your house most of the time on a no-cool call, hi, I'm here to fix your air conditioner. Well, let me show you where it's at. It's right around here in the back. Because they think the air conditioning system is the condenser only, and that's what we need to look at. So we are now at the home of somebody that knows nothing about air conditioning. Yeah, let's say the homeowner's name is Brian. Mm-hmm. Makes okay. perfect sense. So to- Just hypothetically. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't know anything about air conditioning. So one of us at this meeting does know something about air conditioning, and one person has to be in control of this call. So... The person that knows needs to be in control so he can lead the unknowing person to seeing problems that he may not know they have because an air conditioning system will destroy itself. Totally unknown to the homeowner. So we ask three questions. The thermostats are a really easy place to take them, and it's non-confrontational. It's easy to get the answers that you want. So we take him there. We ask him, is this where you normally set the thermostat? Whatever it is. 
And uh, they'll say yes or they'll say no or no, I've been trying to get it turned on, so I got it turned way down or I got it turned way, whatever. Now, sometimes homeowners that have an agreement will try to get you to do a service call for free by just calling you out to do a tune-up knowing the unit won't run. So that's why I want to look at that thermostat. Now, if the thermostat is backlit but it won't turn on, I see that the batteries are probably dead and they've got another problem. The minute I touch that that thermostat, I'm going to be in charge of the problem, so I'll have to fix it for free. So I just point at it and say, is this where you normally uh, set the thermostat? They'll say yes. I say, well, you mind showing me how you operate it? They might say, you don't know how to operate a thermostat? Yes, sir, I sure do, but I'd like to see how you operate it. And then if it won't come on, it won't come on, and it's not my call. If if I touch that thermostat and it won't turn on, and he says, well, it worked fine till you touched it, there I am troubleshooting for free. So I don't want to do that. I just Right now, I'm just going to have a conversation. And then my next question to him is this. If I had to ask which is the most uncomfortable room in the house, which one would you say? I don't ever ask if they have a hot spot or a cold spot or an uncomfortable room because it's too easy to say no. But if I ask that question, it causes them to think, and they'll usually give me a room. And I'll say, great, while we're looking at the rest of your house and your equipment, I'll take a peek in there. might be able to make some adjustments and make it a lot better. Would that be okay? They never say no. Well, now he just gave me permission to look all through his house at these comfort problems. And then the final one is who in the house suffers most from allergies? Well, if they have somebody suffers from allergies and they give me a name, I know that I'm going to include that person's name in my presentation when I talk to them about IAQ. So now, in that first two or three minutes, you know, I've, I've started solving that one issue where people only buy a solution to a problem they know they have because if he's got a problem, I'm going to bring it up, and I'm only going to bring it up because he asked me. And I'm not being pushed. And it allows me to look at more stuff. So then I show them a diagram of where I'm going in the house. Say, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. First thing I'm going to do is check your filter. I need you to show me where that is. Then I'm going to check your furnace. Then I'm going to do whatever. I show him everywhere I'm going. So he knows where I'm going to be in this house. And he also knows I'm here on a no cool call, but I'm going to look at your furnace. He thinks that only provides heat. So he's going to ask me, what are you looking at my furnace for? It's 110 in here, and I can tell him there's a blower in there because I'm going to pull this blower assembly out while I'm there. He doesn't know he's got a dirty blower, but I'm going to pull the blower assembly out so I can show him. He's not going to ask me to clean his blower wheel because he doesn't even know he has a blower wheel. He's not going to have me clean his blower wheel until he sees that it's dirty. He's not going to see that it's dirty until I pull it out. I can't pull it out if I don't go to the furnace, so I've got to find that problem so I can show him so he can buy the solution. But I'm, I'm setting myself up to solve the most problems for my customer and not having feel offended or like I'm pushing something on it. I never want to sell a customer something they don't want, don't need, or can't afford, but I do want to show him everything that's wrong, but I want to get his permission to do it. So now he knows where I'm going and what I'm going to do. And then I just tell him, I'm going to check your system now. I'll be looking for anything to short life your system or cause excessively high utility bills. If I find anything, would you like me to make a list and share it with you? Just go ahead and fix it. 99% of them say, don't you do anything until I see that list. Well, now he just asked me for a list of everything in the whole house, and I told him I was going to look at everything. I mean, how much more do you want the customer to do? That's so, so, now that's so good, Joe. I love it. Everything in the house, find all the problems and bring the problems back to him. 
Now he knows he's got a problem. I offer him a solution. And generally, the price issues start going away. The decision-making starts becoming easier. You show me what that problem is. And it makes easier. It makes it easier for me to choose whether I'm going to have my blower wheel cleaned or not. And the real numbers are 30% of the blower wheels out there today need to be pulled and cleaned. They just don't get pulled and cleaned because the technician either doesn't set himself up so the customer thinks it's okay or the technician's too lazy to pull it. He thinks it's too much work. When he needs to get it out of there, if he gets it out of there and does it, he's going to do a blower wheel cleaning for $350, $400, $500, $600, whatever your charge is. And when we talk about dirty blower wheels, 50% of them are hooked to a dirty coil. So why wouldn't I pull the high limit switch out and get a picture of that so I could ask the customer what he thinks? Uh, mic drop there, Joe. That's, that's really good <laughs> stuff. I love how I love how you just walk walk us through that. And like, what were summarize those first three questions for us? Like the basic ones you start off with. Yeah, is this where you normally set your thermostat? If I had to ask, which is the most uncomfortable room in the house? Which one would you say? And who in the house suffers from allergies most? Hey, I'm sorry. That's where we're going to have to cut off this interview and pick it up next week as we return to Joe Cunningham for some more fantastic information. I thought the show was awesome today, and Joe just has such a way of making things seem so simple and really stuff that can be applied immediately. And I think there's a lot of great stuff to listen to on this particular podcast, and I hope we're going to have a similar experience. I'm sure we will on part two of this. So make sure that you catch that next week as we invite Joe back on. For now, we're going to end this week's podcast with our weekly challenge, which of course is to choose to wake up every single morning and waste no day. 